right, welcome to the Saturday night edition of From 8 Arbitration. Told you last week that I have to go out of town tomorrow, and so there's no way I could get up and, and get an episode done, edited, and put up tomorrow, so I'm going to take care of it tonight. So we're going to finish Window of Operation and Dispatch of Value, get into the white pages a little bit. Boring, boring, <laughs> but, but we're going to get them knocked out get everybody ready to, to fight the dispatch of value wind of operation. First off, let me give you some good news, some great news. There's a, a shop steward in my installation. Uh, he's, he's very bright, very good. Uh, matter of fact, he just went to DRT training and, and aced it. So he'll be spending some time on our DRT. The guy's very, very knowledgeable. But uh, the first time I became aware of him, I had an arbitration here in my installation and saw these contentions from him. He was the informal step A representative. And I remember JB telling me, hey, th this cat here is gifted. And so when I saw his contentions, I was like, okay, I'm going to use this guy as the informal step A, which I've told you before, out of 142 arbitrations, maybe a handful of times, I use the informal step A because normally they don't have much in the file. But this guy did a great job, fantastic job. So uh, I used him as a witness in arbitration. He did a fantastic job, was uh, really good under cross, which I love. But he calls me a few weeks ago, and he says, hey, I want to do something to help out with the podcast. And I was like, okay, well, anything you can do, I appreciate it. He's like, I'm going I'm to make you a website. I said, all right. Okay. <laughs> he says, uh, I'm going to have every episode on there, uh, every a link to all your sites, a link to all the contract language. So anything that you say in this podcast, if there's an arbitration site, I'm going to have it on this webpage under each episode. Uh, so whoever's listening and go to it can punch on that link can get the site. Cause he's, you know, he's heard me talk numerous times about, I don't know how to do anything with a computer. I have no idea. I'm horrible at it, terrible at it. So when I'm telling you, look, I'm trying to get these things downloaded so you can read them. I just can't do it. Well, he he's able to do it. So he has made me a website. It's from a to arbitration.com. And I'll put it on my, where I have a little synopsis of my episodes. It's from a to arbitration.com is the name of it. So go to from a to arbitration.com. You can leave me messages on there. You can leave me topics that you want me to talk about on there. I'll get somebody to talk about them if I don't know anything about it. But we'll get it handled. But his name is Jeremy McCall. So, Jeremy, I love you, brother. Thank you. More than you know, thank you for doing that, for helping out our brothers and sisters. Because I get a lot of people that ask for sites or message me, can you send a site? And I don't mind doing that at all, but this is going to be very easy for you. I think he, he told me today that he's all the way up through episode 30-something. So, uh, Jeremy McCall, I appreciate you more than you know, my brother. I really do. So, from a to arbitration.com is where you go. From a to arbitration.com. And uh, thank you to Jeremy again. Man, that, that's, uh, that's special. I really, really appreciate that. I really do. Another thing, I've got a lot of shop stewards that message that are brand new, brand new. 
uh, from California all the way to Maine. <laughs> they, they'll message, you know, uh, thanking me for the podcast or asking questions. We'll look at things together. Uh, a lot of stories uh, about former shop stewards that they've taken over their position because they went into management or their branch president went into management and left them all in the lurch. And so they've, they have taken up the flag, have become the shop steward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for stepping up and filling that void and representing your brothers and sisters. I cannot thank you enough for doing that. My business agent, you know, he tells me all the time that there's these stations that they just cannot get help. They cannot get people in there, so he's having to send us in as outside stewards because nobody will pick up the flag and and do that. Y'all ever seen the movie The Patriot? I love that movie with Mel Gibson, The Patriot. Y'all know at the end of the movie when it's the big battle scene and the guy who's carrying the flag gets shot and killed, and so Mel Gibson sees him, he goes over and grabs it, picks it up, tears off running. You know why he does that? It's to let the the opposition know that we're still in this fight. That we're not dead yet. We are still in this fight. The national anthem, you know, you sing the national anthem where it gets to the part and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Do you know the importance of that? It's to let them know, hey, we're still in this fight. We are still in this fight. So for you shop stewards that decide to pick up the flag and represent your people, it's letting management know that we are still in this fight. That's exactly what you're doing when you say, hey, look, I'll pick it up. I'll take it over. Somebody steps down, somebody goes into management, to hell with them. Pick up that flag and let them know, look here, we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. We are still in this fight. And that's exactly what you're doing when you say, look, give me, give me the responsibility. I'm going to take it on myself. I, I cannot thank you enough for doing what you do. Don't get disgruntled. Don't get dismayed. Things are not always going to go your way. It's a thankless job. It really is. But take pride in it. There's nothing I would rather do. There's nothing more satisfying than representing my people. Thank you for picking up the flag. Thank you for letting management know on your station, look here, bastards, we are still in this fight. And that's exactly what you're doing. All right? God bless you for doing that. Seriously. You have no idea what that means. Not just to your carriers, not just to your brothers and sisters, but to your president, to your business agent, to know, hey, look, I've got somebody in there. I trust them. I know that they're going to do what's right. They're going to represent. All right? So thank y'all, man. Really, from the bottom of my heart, thank y'all. Let's finish up on the window of operation and dispatch of value. How about that? One thing, I don't. I listen to my episodes. I'll, I'll do my episode, and then I have to go back and I have to edit it. There's a lot of stuff that y'all don't hear because I have to edit it out, like sneezes and stuff like that, or... You know, somebody walks in, I have to edit those things out. I won't listen to it 
till probably Wednesday. I won't listen to the whole thing from beginning to end. Last week, too long. Much too long. I won't do that again. That's two hours. A lot of information. A lot. And I reached out to a lot of people that I trust. And I said, you know, listen to it. What do you think? All of them. It was information rich. Well, that means it's too much talking, (laughs) too much reading. It's too long. I I didn't like it. So I apologize for doing all that reading. Uh, I should have split that up into three episodes. But I just, you know, before I knew it, it's two hours long. Uh, But hopefully you got the gist of everything. The the wind of operation, dispatch value. What do those things mean? Article 8, where are we going to go when we're going to combat those things? What is management going to say? Where are they going to go to try to uphold it? Try to justify it. Uh, Simultaneously scheduling. That's where they're going to go with that. Uh, So hopefully you understand what I was trying to say, where we're going to go. But today I'm going to get into the white pages. I apologize for doing all the reading last week. Fixing to do a lot of reading today. (laughs) It's, It's a lot of reading. And you could get these white pages and read them yourself. You know, you can do that. But a lot of people say that uh, I have, do have a lot of people that reach out and they say, hey, look, I'm out in my vehicle delivering, so I, I don't mind listening. I just listen. But I don't want to make you fall asleep and wreck either while you're out there. So but uh, so let's talk about the white pages. This is something that you're going to put in every file. In every file, in, every, in all your contentions, put in the white pages, Okay. I love the white pages. It covers every single aspect of what we're trying to do as far as window of operation and dispatch of value and beating those things, okay? It's M1548M1548. Again, I'll have that up on my uh, synopsis kind of thing. And let's get right into it and get this thing over with so y'all don't quit listening to me because I talk too much or read too much. And it's from May of 2006. That's the same year I became shop steward, 2006. May of 2006. And it's titled Overtime, Staffing, and Simultaneously Scheduling. Overtime, Staffing, and Simultaneously Scheduling. Let's get into it. And I'm going to show you this is both sides where we come from, where management comes from, how we're going to beat these things, kind of the history of some Article 3, Article 8, National Arbitrator Menthol's decisions. It's going to put it all together for you. It's beautiful. So if you can get a copy of it, read it. Read it, familiarize yourself with it, and you'll be an expert on the window of operation and dispatch of value and how to beat these things. Here it goes. The Contract Administration Unit has prepared this publication to help branch leaders monitor the Postal Service's responsibility to properly staff its facilities in order to meet its contractual obligations under Article 8 and the Employee and Labor Relations Manual. The parties negotiated these contractual obligations over the years in order to protect employees from working mandatory overtime. In facilities that lack proper staffing, that employee protection is often sacrificed by supervisors as they manage the daily workload. When staffing is insufficient, supervisors often resort to assigning overtime to full-time non-ODL employees and full-time ODL employees at the same time during a given work day. 
This is known as simultaneously scheduling of overtime. As justification, USPS usually claims that an operational window, management's self-proclaimed deadline for the completion of all deliveries, requires the simultaneously scheduling. And we talked about that a lot last week, about operational windows. Darkness, 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock, or 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. Those are operational windows for some kind of business purpose. Although proper staffing would prevent this from occurring, the Postal Service may claim that Article 3 gives it complete discretion when it comes to decisions on hiring. However, that is not the case at all. As the JCAM states under Article 3, while postal management has the right to manage the Postal Service, it must act in accordance with applicable laws, regulations, contract provisions, arbitration awards, letters of agreement, and memoranda. Consequently, many of the management's rights enumerated in Article 3 are limited by negotiated contract provisions. Now, this is very good because, remember, I told you last week, management's going to claim Article 3. It's our exclusive right to manage. The union does not tell us how to manage. I don't know how many times I've heard that in arbitration in their closings. The union does not tell us how to manage. That's our exclusive right. We're the only ones that decide how we're going to manage. And we will always come back and use Article 3 against them. And that's what this is talking about right there. Thus, management's Article 3 decisions on hiring and staffing are clearly limited by the negotiated Article 8 provisions that protect employees from simultaneously scheduling of overtime. This conclusion is supported by a review of the pertinent contractual provisions and their negotiation history. It goes on, background, Article 3. This article has remained virtually unchanged since the first negotiated national agreement in 1971. Article 3, Management Rights, Section 1. The employer shall have the exclusive right subject to the provisions of this agreement and consistent with actual laws and regulations. A. To direct employees of the employer in the performance of official duties. B. To hire, promote, transfer, assign, and retain employees in positions within the Postal Service. And to suspend, demote, discharge, or take other disciplinary action against such employees. Now that's the one they'll always talk about when we say, hey, you need to hire more people to keep from violating Article 8. Well, we have the exclusive right under B to hire. And that's one of the things that we'll have to overcome, and we will. C, to maintain the efficiency of the operations entrusted to it. D, to determine the methods, means, and personnel by which such operations are to be conducted. E, to prescribe a uniform dress to be worn by letter carriers and other designated employees. And F, to take whatever actions may be necessary to carry out its missions in emergency situations, i.e. an unforeseen circumstance or combination of circumstances which calls for immediate action in a situation which is not expected to be of recurring nature. And then it goes on to background of Article 8. Now this is very important. Because Article 8 is where we're going to kick them in the ass, right? Article 8 has gone through an enormous transformation since collective bargaining began in 1971. Before looking at those changes, it is necessary to examine the wording of overtime provisions as they existed prior to collective bargaining. In 1968, prior to collective bargaining, the overtime provisions were located on Article 15. They stated in relevant part, In emergencies, or as the needs of the service require, 
Employees may be required to perform overtime work or to work on holidays. In administering overtime within a craft, a cardinal principle will be that overtime should be granted on the basis of need, when it is needed, where it is needed, how it is needed, and the skills required. When scheduling overtime, all qualified employees within the appropriate craft shall be given opportunities for overtime on an equitable basis. In 1971, the overtime provisions were moved to Article 8 and were changed to read. Section 5. Overtime Assignments. Overtime work shall be required on the basis of need, when it is needed, where it is needed, how it is needed, and the skills required and shall be scheduled on an equitable basis among qualified employees doing similar work in the work location where the employees regularly work. 3. 1973, Negotiated Changes to Article 8. Now, did y'all hear that first two parts there? Remember last week when I said, look, I believe that Article 8 was written to protect those not wanting to work overtime. If not, then everybody just work all those hours. Everybody just work until we're finished work, until the mail's all delivered. Everybody's going to work. Well, that's what it was like before collective bargaining. It goes on. The parties negotiated many changes to Article 8 in 1973. One of those changes was the establishment of the overtime desired list. Another was the establishment of a maximum number of hours that full-time employees could be required to work. The creation of the ODL, Article 85A, gave rise to the simultaneously scheduling definition provided earlier in this publication. The agreement went on to define the circumstances in which a non-ODL carrier could still be required to work overtime. If the ODL does not provide sufficient qualified people, Article 85D, remember, that's management's, that's where they're going to try to get us. In addition, the agreement set a limit on the number of hours a full-time employee could work in a service day and the maximum number of days a full-time employee could work in a service week, Article 85F, 12 and 60. These changes were significant because they narrowed the circumstances in which the Postal Service could simultaneously schedule employees to work overtime. They also placed a responsibility upon the Postal Service to properly staff its facilities so that no full-time employee would be required to work more than 10 hours per day or 6 days per week. Article 8, Hours of Work Section 5, Overtime Assignments when needed, overtime work for regular full-time employees shall be scheduled among qualified employees doing similar work in the work location where the employees regularly work in accordance with the following. A. Two weeks prior to the start of each calendar quarter, full-time regular employees desiring to work overtime during that quarter shall place their names on an overtime desired list. B. Lists will be established by craft section or tour in accordance with Article 30, Local Implementation. Because 30 deals with our LMOU, right? C. 1. Except in the letter carrier craft, when during the quarter the need for overtime arises, employees within the necessary skills, having listed their names, with, will be selected in order of their seniority on a rotating basis. Those absent on leave or on a light duty shall be passed over. 2. Only in the letter carrier craft, when during the quarter the need for overtime arises, employees with the necessary skills, having listed their names, will be selected from the list. During the quarter, every effort will be made to distribute equitably the opportunities for overtime among those on the list. In order to ensure equitable opportunities for overtime, 
Overtime hours worked and the opportunities offered will be posted and updated quarterly. Recourse to the overtime desired list is not necessary in the case of a letter carrier working on his own route on one of his regularly scheduled days. D. If the voluntary overtime desired list does not provide sufficient qualified people, qualified full-time regular employees not on the list may be required to work overtime on a rotating basis with the first opportunity assigned to the junior employee. Now remember what I said? That's management's baby. That's the one they're going to hit us with 100% of the time. C. Exceptions to C and D above, if requested by the employee, may be approved by local management in exceptional cases based on equity, e.g. anniversaries, birthdays, illness, and deaths. Now that's just how we can get out of overtime on a scheduled day. Excluding December, only in an emergency situation will a full-time regular employee be required to work over 10 hours in a day or 6 days in a week. Then it picks back up. Based on the language of the 1973 agreement, there were certain circumstances under which the Postal Service could simultaneously schedule ODL and non-ODL full-time employees to work overtime. As an example, the Postal Service could assign an ODL employee to work overtime while also assigning overtime to a non-ODL carrier on his or her own route on regularly scheduled days, Article 85C2. On the other hand, if the Postal Service chose to assign a non-ODL employee one hour of overtime on a route other than his, uh, his or her own and one hour of overtime to an ODL employee, the simultaneously scheduling would, under normal circumstances, violate Article 8. Even with the newly negotiated language, which narrowed the circumstances in which the Postal Service could simultaneously schedule, USPS still retained the right under Article 3F gets into the language, to take whatever actions may be necessary to carry out its mission in emergency situations, i.e. an unforeseen circumstance or combination of circumstances, which calls for immediate action in a situation which is not expected to be of a recurring nature. It gets into background. See, I told y'all this is boring, but we're going to read it. We're going to read all of it. <laughs> and then y'all get it. Look at it. Y'all read it too. Background, ELM, ELM Issue 1, 4178, Section 432.3. In this first issue of the ELM, the Postal Service reaffirmed the previously negotiated provisions of Article 85F by limiting full-time bargaining unit employees to working no more than 10 hours per day or six days in a week. It also limited all other employees to working no more than 12 hours per day. And it goes down here at the bottom. This provision excluded part-time employees from these restrictions. Part-time employees were later included in this provision, limiting them to 12 hours in a service day in ELM Issue 6, 5-2081. is important to note that the maximum allowable hours provision was entered into freely by the Postal Service. By agreeing to this provision in 1973, the Postal Service bound itself to comply with its agreement from that point forward. The Postal Service still retains its one exception, which is for emergencies under Article 3F. Now that's critical. I'm going to read that again because this is something that you're going to contend. It is important to note that the maximum allowable hours provision was entered into freely by the Postal Service. By agreeing to this provision in 1973, the Postal Service bound itself to comply with its agreement from that point forward. 
The Postal Service still retained its one exception was for emergencies under Article 3F. Now, one thing that management will always say when we're talking about working carriers up to 12, they'll say it's not feasible. It doesn't make any sense to work somebody 12 hours to, for them to be here that long every night. It, it's not feasible. It's not good business sense. It's not maintaining the efficiency of the operation entrusted to us. Those are things that management will say, and they say them. But this right here is what you'll use. Advocates or formal A's, B teams, where it says it is important to note that the maximum allowable hours provision was entered into freely by the Postal Service. So if any time they say that, any time that they come up with this, it's not feasible to work people 12 hours. It, it's no, it makes no good business sense to do that, to have carriers out there that late at night. Hey, look, baby, you entered into this freely. Both parties agreed to the maximum hours. Y'all agreed to that. So if you don't agree to it any longer, then you need to take that up at headquarters level. But as of right now, both of us sitting at this table, we agreed to the, the maximum number of hours. It goes on. This contractual obligation has never been changed. Therefore, if the Postal Service is found to be requiring its employees to work beyond the maximum allowable hours in violation of Article 3 and 8, staffing issues should be addressed. 5. 1984. Changes to Article 8. The next change to Article 8 occurred during negotiations for the 1984 National Agreement. The new language found in Article 8.5.F and G further narrowed the circumstances in which simultaneously scheduling would be permissible. Article 8.5.F and G states, F. Excluding December, no full-time regular employee will be required to work overtime on more than four of the employee's five scheduled days in a service week or work over 10 hours on a regularly scheduled day, over eight hours on a non-scheduled day, or over six days in a service week. G. Full-time employees not on the overtime desire list may be required to work overtime only if all available employees on the overtime desire list have worked up to 12 hours in a day or 60 hours in a service week. Employees on the overtime desired list 1. May be required to work up to 12 hours in a day and 60 hours in a service week subject to payment of penalty overtime pay set forth in Section 4D for contravention of Section 5F. Now, that's, uh, let me tell you something. Article 8 is the most confusing article in all of history. I know very few experts at Article 8, and I know a lot of people. Article 8 is some of the most confusing crap you'll ever read. Let me read that again. That's what I'm talking about. It may make sense to a lot of y'all. Listen to this. One, may be required to work up to 12 hours in a day, okay, and 60 hours in a service week, okay, subject to payment of penalty overtime pay set forth in Section 4D for contravention of Section 5F. You've lost 90% of the new shop stores with that right there. It just takes a little research. You'll get it. And excluding December shall be limited to no more than 12 hours of work in a day and no more than 60 hours of work in a service week. However, the employer is not required to utilize employees on the overtime desired list at the penalty overtime rate if quality qualified employees on the overtime desired list who are not yet entitled to penalty overtime are available for the overtime assignment. <laughs> 
Y'all see what I'm saying? Holy shit, man. The new language of 85F required the Postal Service to sufficiently staff its facilities to ensure that no full-time regular employees are required to work overtime on more than four days of the employee's five scheduled days or over eight hours on a non-scheduled day or over six days in a service week. And now that broke it down for you right there. That's what it was talking about. I read that again because I made fun of it. The new language of 85F required the Postal Service to sufficiently staff its facilities to ensure that no full-time regular employees are required to work overtime on more than four days of the employee's five scheduled days. Okay, that's taken, that's easy. Or over eight hours on a non-scheduled day. All right, that's my day off. Or over six days in a service week. Right, Sunday. The new language in Article 85G also increased the number of hours a full-time ODL employee could work in a service day without changing the maximum allowable hours for the service week. This is significant because employees on the ODL were now available to work up to 12 hours a day before management could require, with restrictions, a non-ODL carry to work overtime. The direction that the parties were heading in was clearly to reduce the amount of overtime that employees would be required to work and specifically to protect non-ODL employees from working mandatory overtime. Bingo. That's what we were talking about last week, right? Talking about my grandson. I'm going to go see him play ball, play soccer, whatever. It's, it's there to protect me. That's what this says. And to specifically protect non-ODM employees from working mandatory overtime. That's what we were talking about. This was later affirmed in a memorandum of understanding, which was negotiated by the Postal Service and the APW in 1984. See November 2005, JCAM, page 826. The memorandum stated that excessive use of overtime was inconsistent with the best interests of post employees and the Postal Service. Recognizing that excessive use of overtime is inconsistent with the best interest of postal employees and the Postal Service, it is the intent of the parties in adopting changes to Article 8 to limit overtime to avoid excessive mandatory overtime and to protect the interests of employees who do not wish to work overtime. And that, that sums it up what we were talking about, okay? To avoid excessive mandatory overtime and to protect the interests of employees who do not wish to work overtime. Or what are my interests? We talk about child care, talking about my grandson. That's my interest. That's my only interest. Those are our interests, to protect the interest of employees who do not wish to work overtime. So when we're arguing wind of operation, dispatch of value, get you some carriers in there who are not on the list. How is this harming you, what management's doing? How is the implementation of a dispatch of value or window of operation, how is it harming you when they're forcing you to work all these overtime hours? What interest do you have that you're not allowed to do? Get statements to that effect, as many as you can. If you've got uh, a mother that's got child care till four, and management's making her work till five on the regular because they won't uh, maximize to 12 and she's having to pay extra money because she's having to go get her kids late from daycare. Get that back for her. Ask, ask for that back in agreements when we're dealing with a dispatch of value win of operation. If you got a significant other that, that they have to go to work at five, 
Your eight hours is up in four, but they're consistently having to make you work because of some window of operation or dispatch of value. They're impeding your interests. <laughs> That's what they're doing. My interest is I need to get home to my significant other because they so they can go to work. Make sure we get statements talking about the carrier's interests that they're not able to do. Whatever it is, I don't care if they go play tiddlywinks in a in a in a club somewhere. Get a statement that this is what they're doing that's hindering me from whatever interest I have. All right? Make sure we get plenty of statements. The memorandum also recognized the possibility that overtime would be necessary from time to time. Based on this, the parties agreed to additional restrictions regarding the assignment of overtime while continuing the use of overtime desired lists. The memorandum also gave an example in which the voluntary overtime desired list did not provide sufficient qualified people and qualified full-time regular non-ODL employees were required to work overtime simultaneously with ODL employees. And it says, see JCAM article 85D. Remember, we killed that last week. We hammered 85D last week. This language, negotiated by the APWU without the NALC, was most certainly the result of time pressures within the clerk craft for getting the mail out. The parties further agree that the memorandum did not give rise to any contractual commitment beyond the provisions of Article 8. Y'all get that? The APW is the one who negotiated that 85D language. That is their language. Okay, we had no part in it. And it's stating what basically what Arbitrator Menthol said. At the end of the workday, when all these different stations, all this outgoing mail is coming in at the same time, there's this influx of mail. Arbitrator Mententhal said, look, you can simultaneously schedule to get that mail out, to get it processed and out. And that's what management will say we use against us. When in actuality, it's an, it's an APWU clause. That's something that they came up with. And it says here, the party was most certainly the result of time pressures within the clerk craft for getting the mail out. We talked about that a lot last week. The terms of the memorandum. So advocates, when they're dealing with that, that's good right here to tell the arbitrator that. Okay, now we adopted that language. It's in our JCAM, but it's from the APWU. The terms of the memorandum were later accepted by the NALC, but only after the Postal Service had agreed to include language which addressed the provisions of Article 85C2D. The language in Article 85C2D states, Recourse to the overtime desired list is not necessary in the case of a letter carrier working on the employee's own route on one of the employee's regularly scheduled days. To address 85C2D, NALC and USPS agreed to this language. In the letter carrier craft, where management determines that overtime or auxiliary assistance is needed on an employee's route on one of the employee's regularly scheduled days, and the employee is not on the overtime desired list, the employer will seek to utilize auxiliary assistance when available rather than requiring the employee to work mandatory overtime. This language became known as the letter carrier paragraph. All right, let me read that again. In the letter carrier craft, where management determines that overtime or auxiliary assistance is needed on an employee's route on one of the employee's regularly scheduled days, and the employee is not on the overtime desired list, the employer will seek to utilize auxiliary assistance when available rather than requiring the employee to work mandatory overtime. 6. 1986 National Arbitration on Simultaneously Scheduling The NLC intervened in the case 
It's C number 5860-5860, April 11th, 1986. APW contended that ODL employees had the option of accepting or refusing overtime work when it exceeded the Article 85F limits. If that contention had been correct, it would have meant that non-ODL employees could have been required to work overtime once ODL employees had been worked eight hours on a non-scheduled day, six days in a service week, or overtime, or four or five scheduled days in a service week, assuming that the ODL employees exercised their option not to work that overtime. Neither the Postal Service nor NALC agreed with the APW's contention. The case is therefore important because the award from National Arbitrator Mittenthal outlined the Postal Service's position on 5F and 5G limitations on simultaneously scheduling. Arbitrator Mittenthal put the issue in perspective in his award when he wrote about the background of the case. The dispute is significant not just for those who have placed their names on the ODL. It also has a derivative impact on full-time regulars not on the ODL. For they can be required to work overtime only if all available and qualified employees on the LDL have reached the 12-hour day and 60-hour week limits. The APW view on the ODL employees' rights would make non-ODL employees more susceptible to an overtime draft while the Postal Service NELC view would make non-ODL employees less susceptible to an overtime draft. In national arbitration, management, together with the NALC, fought for the negotiated 5F and 5G employees' protections against mandated overtime. The party's intent in the Article 8 negotiations is therefore very clear. To place limits on simultaneously scheduling, even more important than the party's intent is the fact that National Arbitrator Menthol agreed with the NALC and the Postal Service that those limits did, in fact, exist. Arbitrator Mittenthal's award specifically stated, My conclusion is that ODL employees do not have the option to accept or refuse overtime beyond the 5F limitations. They can be required to perform such overtime. The non-ODL employees may not be required to work overtime until the ODL employees have exhausted their overtime obligations under 5G. Although this case originated in the APW's claim that ODL employees have the option to refuse overtime, that exceeded the 5F limits, Arbitrator Menthol's ruling is just as applicable to other situations too. Based on the above cited language, management may assign non-ODL employees to work overtime off their assignments or on non-scheduled days only after it meets the 12 and 60 hour obligations under 85G. The only exception would be in the event of actual emergencies as outlined in Article 3F. And so that will be your contention, right? Or be one of them. The only time that you can do anything other than that is outlined in 3F when it talks about emergency situations. And that's what we were arguing down in Lake Charles. And uh, I think, matter of fact, I think the, the arbitrator even asked management, under what emergency were we doing this? Uh, he asked them that. Of course, they couldn't answer because there was no emergency. And I think the arbitrator was legitimately concerned because maybe in Lake Charles, maybe it was hurricane situations. Maybe there were situations which required simultaneously scheduling, which required an exemption or a bypass of that language I just read. I think he was legitimately asking not to hurt them, but to say, hey, look, what emergency situation was it that, that made y'all continue to do this? If management would have said, well, we had hurricanes this season, 
staffing problems because of that. People couldn't get to work. He may have given them a pass on it, but they couldn't answer the question. Seven, 1988 Memorandum of Understanding. The application of the letter care paragraph caused some confusion and generated disagreement. Amen to that. Y'all hear that? The application of the letter care paragraph caused some confusion and generated disagreement. In an attempt to clarify the overtime provisions, the party subsequently entered into a memorandum of understanding in December 20th, 1988. And that's M884, M884, which stated that if a carrier is not on the overtime desired list or has not signed up for the work assignment overtime, management must not assign overtime to that carrier without first fulfilling the obligation outlined in the letter carrier paragraph of the Article 8 Memorandum. A notable change contained in the memorandum was the letter carrier paragraph does not require management to use a letter carrier on the ODL to provide auxiliary assistance if that letter carrier would be in penalty overtime status. After the reaffirmation of the letter carrier paragraph and inclusion of the new language on providing auxiliary assistance, simultaneously scheduling and staffing responsibilities changed slightly. As an example, simultaneously scheduling would be permissible in the case of a non-ODL letter carrier working up to 10 hours on his or her own assignment on a regularly scheduled day as long as no ODL carrier was available to work at the regular overtime rate. Simultaneously scheduling would also be permissible in cases where non-ODL carriers were working overtime on an assignment other than their own or working a non-scheduled day as long as the ODL carriers were working up to 12 hours in a service week. And that's what I was talking about, 8-5-D. If all my carriers are working 12, then you can simultaneously schedule. If all my ODLs are working 12, then you can come off the list and you can simultaneously schedule starting with juniority to get whatever mails left delivered. And to me, that's the only time. While Article 8, while Article 3F still allowed for simultaneously scheduling in emergencies, the staffing responsibilities were made the same. That is, management was obligated to ensure that ODL employees were not required to work more than a maximum of 12 and 60 hours and non-ODL employees did not work more than Article 8.5F limits or in violation of Article 8.5G. We're coming to a close here. Y'all hang in there with me. We just about read the white pages to you. All right? This is something y'all can get and read yourself, but I just read it to you. We're coming to the close. Hang in there. National Arbitrator Mittenthal settled a dispute over the 1984 memorandum. APWU then brought a national dispute challenging the circumstances under which the Postal Service could simultaneously schedule employees. Well, here we go. Specifically, APW asserted that the Postal Service could simultaneously schedule employees only under the conditions set forth in the 1984 memorandum. The Postal Service disagreed and stated that the memorandum was intended only to confirm that management was free to continue existing practices with respect to simultaneously scheduling as of December 1984. Arbitrator Mittenthal upheld the Postal Service's position. This ruling allowed simultaneously scheduling in facilities as it existed prior to 1984. For the letter carrier craft, in cases that would otherwise have been a contractual violation, this would only refer to emergency situations as per Article 3F. And that's the one that they use, okay? 
Nine, the relationship between staffing and the operational window. As mentioned earlier, the term operational window has been loosely applied to mean a time of day which management has decided is the deadline for completion of all deliveries. Management has offered various reasons for such a deadline, including a last or critical dispatch, customer satisfaction, service goals, darkness, and numerous other circumstances and scenarios. Remember, that was what we was talking about last week. That's, that's the status quo. Those are the, the usual suspects when we're talking about a, a window of operation are those things. NELC has never accepted an operational window nor any form of simultaneously scheduling which requires non-ODL employees to work overtime unless all available employees on the ODL are worked in accordance with Article 8.5G. Now let me read that again. I'm going to tell you some stories. NELC has never accepted an operational window nor any form of simultaneously scheduling which requires non-ODL employees to work overtime unless all available employees on the ODL are worked in accordance with Article 8.5G. Simply put, the Postal Service can implement operational windows, service goals, or any other program so long as its implementation does not violate the provisions of the National Agreement. And that's what I was talking about last week. You want to do an operational window? That's fine as long as you're not violating Article 8. As long as you're not forcing my carriers that don't want to work overtime to work overtime due to that operational window. I had an arbitration once, and it was dealing with an operational window, a dispatch of value. And there was a pre-arb signed between the union and management. And the pre-arb was that management had the right to implement a window of operation of five o'clock. Can you imagine that? The union and management agreed in a pre-arb to an operational window of five o'clock. That was a signed agreement. Can you believe that? Who in their right mind would do that? Now, the circumstances were because this plant... This was a small station. It was about two hours from the plant. It was about two hours from the plant. And so they had to get the mail back. They were constantly violating Article 8 to do it. Constantly. So rather than come up with a pre-arb that says, hey, you're going to keep the place staffed properly. Uh, you can move the truck schedule. You can do some other things. We decided it was best that we would just sign a pre-arb that they had a five o'clock operational window. So I had to go and fight that thing. We won because of all the Article 8 violations, but uh, be careful. Be careful what you sign because you're going to be bound to it, right? Five o'clock window. I couldn't believe it. Goes on. Therefore, management has an obligation to properly staff its facilities to remain in compliance with the national agreement. For example, if the Postal Service, pursuant to Article 3, decided that all mail in a delivery unit should be delivered by 5 p.m., it is required to properly staff that unit to comply with the provisions of Article 8. Hello. Regulations specifically related to staffing are found in the EL 312. 
the Employment and Placement Handbook, EL312. And I'll write this down for you, but it's in these white pages. EL312, Section 124. The District Manager of Human Resources is responsible for C. Planning and conducting appropriate ongoing recruitment efforts to meet local needs. D. Planning, opening, announcing, and publicizing examinations for recruitment to meet staffing needs of the district. EL 312, Section 211.1, Forecasting. The installation head is responsible for forecasting the recruitment requirements in the installation in sufficient time to assure that there are qualified persons available for appointment. While the installation head is responsible for forecasting recruitment needs, local management from all organizational functions must work together in assessing how changing operational needs will affect recruitment needs. That's good language for you. Therefore, the Postal Service decides to make an operational change that requires all mail in the delivery unit to be delivered by 5 p.m. The regulations clearly state that management must staff accordingly. The EL 312 Section 211 bears repeating. While the installation head is responsible for forecasting recruitment needs, local management must work together in assessing how changing operational needs will affect recruitment needs. And that's what we're going to tell an arbitrator. That's going to be in our contentions, okay? On this uh, pre-arb, this is how we uh, attack that. This is how we uh, went after that. This does not mean that circumstances may not arise from time to time that require the implementation of simultaneously scheduling that would otherwise violate Article 8. The NALC recognizes that such circumstances may exist consistent with the 1991 Menthol Award in Article 3F. As an example, a delivery unit properly staffed under normal circumstances may find that due to non-recurring, unforeseen circumstances on a given day, there's insufficient employees on the ODL available to deliver the mail in the time needed. However, it is under circumstances such as this that branch leaders should question the validity of the operational window and look at the circumstances in which the simultaneously scheduling occurred. Is the window an unreasonable exercise of management's rights or a stratagem to avoid recourse to the ODL? And I've always said, any operational window of dispatch value is there for one reason and one reason only, to not have to pay penalty overtime. That's my belief. That's what I believe. From the bottom of my heart, I believe that. That window of operations and dispatch of values, they can sell them off whatever they want to try to sell them off as. To me, there's only one reason that they do it, and it's to avoid paying penalty overtime. That's, that's how I feel. Is the window based on a last dispatch that is regularly adhered to or on a goal that management may or may not meet on a consistent basis? We talked about that. If they say they got an operational window or a dispatch of value, are they meeting that regularly or are they constantly going over it? And those are arguments we're going to have, and we're going to prove that through clock rings, testimony. So has staffing usually been adequate to meet the window or has it fallen below what is required to avoid simultaneously scheduling? Is the simultaneously scheduling a first occurrence or a frequent one? When was the window implemented? Was it implemented with the proper staffing and scheduling to ensure compliance with the national agreement? 
So get these white pages, read those things, because those are good arguments for you, good questions to ask, and good things to research. The end result is that if a properly staffed postal service is victim to some unforeseen circumstance that may require the use of simultaneously scheduling, the question of whether or not a violation of Article 8 has occurred must be determined on a case-by-case basis based on the validity of the window. 10. The relationship between staffing requirements and maximum allowable hours. With increasing frequency across the United States, management is requiring letter carriers to work long hours, often exceeding the national agreement's limits. While local unions have successfully filed numerous grievances protesting these violations and have often recovered monetary remedies, management has continued to commit these violations. It is therefore essential that the union make the necessary arguments about staffing. Otherwise, the problem of working beyond the maximum allowable hours will persist. It is important to remember that in the 1984 memorandum, the parties agreed and recognized that recognizing that excessive use of overtime is inconsistent with the best interests of postal employees and the postal service, it is the intent of the parties in adopting changes to Article 8 to limit overtime to avoid excessive mandatory overtime, and to protect the interest of employees who do not wish to work overtime. Contract overtime limits include the following, excluding December. Full-time letter carriers on the ODL cannot be required to work over 12 hours in a service day or 60 hours in a service week. Excluding December. Non-ODL full-time letter carriers cannot be required to work overtime on more than four of the employee's five scheduled days in a service week or over 10 hours on a regularly scheduled day or over eight hours on a non-scheduled day or over six days in a service week. Part-time flexible employees cannot be required to work over 11 and a half hours in a service day. If postal management is violating these maximum allowable hour provisions of the national agreement, Branch leaders should address the violations. Along with other appropriate remedies, NELC should request that the Postal Service staff its facilities sufficiently to ensure compliance with the national agreement. Almost home, guys. Conclusion. The history of negotiation concerning overtime language makes clear that NELC and USPS agreed explicitly about the importance of protecting employees from unwanted mandatory overtime work as well as placing limits on overtime in general. With each successive change in negotiated contract language, the parties narrowed further the circumstances in which management could simultaneously schedule a non-ODL employee to work overtime. In the beginning, management had minimal limits on working carriers' overtime. Through years of negotiations, the Postal Service freely entered in agreements that progressively limited to the circumstances in which management was free to simultaneously schedule non-ODL employees to work overtime. Ultimately, those circumstances were narrowed to include only actual emergencies or situations in which management has met its obligations to fully maximize ODL carriers. While Article 8 language changed many times over the years, the language that remained consistent was Article 3. Article 3 outlines management's obligations to maintain the efficiency of the operations and the integrity of Article 8 by properly staffing. In cases of simultaneously scheduling and maximum allowable hours violations, it is important to fashion a remedy which addresses the cause of the violation. That cause is usually management, 
failure to staff a facility sufficiently to ensure compliance with the provisions of Article 8. A review of prior cases shows that when these arguments are properly presented in arbitration, the union's position is upheld. Hey guys, that's all of it. <laughs> Holy smokes. I told you that's long and boring, but it's out there. You can listen to it as many times as you want, trying to get those arguments down if you're dealing with an operational window of a dispatch of value. All right? Those are two episodes. <laughs> that's three hours of talking. Three hours of reading. Yowza. We're not going to do that anymore. But I wanted to have two good episodes, should have done three, that talks about dispatch of value, wind of operation, and our arguments. I'm hoping that over these last two episodes, you've learned of the contractual language, you've learned of management's arguments, you learned of our arguments, where we're going to go, what we're going to cite to beat wind of operations and dispatch of values and protect our carriers, our brothers and sisters, who do not want to work overtime. Now, next week, I'm going to have try, I'm going to try to have JB come in here and do a holiday scheduling. I know y'all are ready for another voice in here <laughs> rather than mine reading so much. But I'm going to try to get JB in here to do a holiday scheduling. I'm also going to try to get uh, some people that I respect highly to come in here with some dissenting views, with things that uh, do things my way. <laughs> I always have. I do things how I do things. I've got some people. I want them to come in here, give you some dissenting views, the way they do things. They're very knowledgeable. I respect these people greatly. So get in, uh, you know, just kind of change it up a little bit. How do y'all do things? I tell you how I do things. How do y'all do things? You know, are we successful? Then anything that's going to help y'all, that's what I want. And if it's people saying, I don't agree with you on this, this is how I think we should do it. I don't care. Anything that's going to help my brothers and sisters, I want to have on this podcast. All right. After JB does holiday scheduling, I'm going to do past practice. Had a lot of people asking about past practice. So I'm going to do one on past practice. I've dealt with that numerous times in arbitration. We'll talk about that. Won't be near as much reading. So y'all won't fall asleep at the wheel while you're out there delivering your route. Again, thank you to Jeremy McCall for doing what he did. And he didn't have to do that. It was a lot of work. God bless that guy. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, again, that's from adaarbitration.com. From adaarbitration.com, you can leave me messages. You can request different episodes. Just don't request ones that's going to require me to read a lot because I don't, I don't like it. I think it's boring as hell. But with that being said, it's an hour and eight minutes. It's an hour less than last week. Making progress. Hey. Thank y'all for listening. Seriously. Uh, There's quite a few of you that listen. I really appreciate it. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for the compliments, the the comments. I I really appreciate that. I really do. Um, Like I've always said, I don't know everything. I've dealt with a lot. But just trying to give you a little bit of what I know, and hopefully it helps you out along the way. All right? Y'all take care of yourself. God bless you. I love y'all. Y'all know that. And I'll talk to you next week with JB. Holiday scheduling. All right.